Would you guys stand with me? And I think we can manage standing through eight verses, right? We do stand, of course, in, in honor of God's word as we receive the tradition from the priest Ezra in the book of Nehemiah. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. This is a psalm of Asaph. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. Father, we just lift this time to you. We pray, Lord, that you would pour your spirit out upon us. Lord, to give us understanding of, of these words, some uh, uh, difficult phrases here. And we just want to make sure that we have a good understanding of what you are saying to us, what you are saying to those in particular that this is directed to. Father, I pray that you'd have your way. Be honored glorified during this time, and Lord, give us the wisdom and discernment on how we can apply these truths to our lives today, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. You guys know how you have a, uh, under the uh, chapter, it says Psalm 82, in my Bible, uh, there's a, 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 an insert here that says, rebuke of Israel's unjust judges. And that really gives us a clue. Those words give us a clue on some of the things that could be kind of difficult to see and, uh, at first glance. But we see that this is a psalm of Asaph. We'll just begin with the inscription there, a psalm of Asaph. Uh, and there, there's really no reason to think it's, it's not from the Asaph of David's time. It likely was written by him. And before I go any further, I have to make sure that I set my iPad so that it doesn't keep turning off. Excuse me a second. I'm sorry. Da, 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 da. I didn't do that beforehand. Auto lock, never. Now, I'll, I'll forget to put it back and it's going to run my battery down. Anyway. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, Asaph writing this, he... He writes in a way that is different from what we've seen him. Now, uh, as you guys know, we, we've been looking at psalms that were written by Asaph or by his descendants, one or the other. And um, next week, as we look at the 83rd psalm, it's the last one of those that are attributed to Asaph or his, or his descendants. Uh, and as we've been looking at this, you know, he's been ministering, of course, to the people. This is different in the sense that rather than him pouring out his heart to God, really 
this is a psalm in which we see God speaking to people. There, there, that, that's the difference that we see here. Um, in the very first verse, we see these words, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. And, and this, gives, this gives us an a, um, introduction to the words of God that he speaks to particular individuals. But he writes as a prophetic voice. A, he writes as a prophet. The voice of God speaking to the people. Uh, just as, it, as Isaiah would have, as Elijah would have, uh, and, and the rest of the prophets as well. And he is speaking directly to those that he's given authority to judge others. As we see in this first verse, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. This gives us the, uh, an understanding of the, the, the introduction and so forth and, and what is going on and, and introducing God as the one who is doing the judging. But before we get into that portion of it, I want to take a look at, throughout this psalm, as we see the word gods or, yeah, or God, and look at the Hebrew words there because there's something that, 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 that I think we can take a look at that's going to help us have understanding and the other ways that that Hebrew word is actually um, translated. Because here's when we see God stands in the congregation of the mighty, he judges among the gods. That first word God is the word that we're very familiar with, the Hebrew word Elohim, the same word that we see strewn throughout the first chapter of, of Genesis. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. And it's a plural word. Uh, and of course, we understand that to, to speak of the reality of the three persons of the Godhead, right? There in that particular function. We see in this same first line, God, Elohim, stands in the congregation of the mighty. The word the mighty is a translation of the Hebrew word El, which is God, singular. So the triune God stands in the congregation of God, singular. The congregation, he's standing in the congregation. The congregation would, would likely and... I mean, most certainly, really, uh, um, be comprised of the angelic hosts. Um, similar to what we see in Job chapters 1 and 2, when, when God is, is there with, with the angels and so forth, and even Satan is among them. You know, that, 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 that council of, 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 of God's creation, of the, the ministers, his ministers that do his bidding and so forth. Satan would be, of course, not among those, but, but just to give an idea of, of what's going on here is that God is standing in amongst, amongst the angels that he created to serve him. And so that's the congregation that is there, congregation of, of God there in the heavens. And then it, it says he judges among the gods, again, Elohim. Now, as we look at that word Elohim, it is translated with the word 
Judges and other places in the Old Testament. In Exodus 22, verses 8 and 9, for example. This is not the only place, but it's one example. That passage says, If the thief is not found, we get the idea of the context here, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges, that's the word Elohim there, judges, to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. For any kind of trespass, whether whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or clothing, or any kind, or for any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges. Again, same word, Elohim. And whomever the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. Again, that same word, judges, Elohim. Um, we, we, We see that that word being translated in other ways gives us some understanding of what's going on here. Now, another place where this word is used is down in verse 6, when the Lord says, I said you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. God says you are gods. Now, we've got to remember the context here is that this psalm is written, these words are written to a specific group of people. Not all believers, not all of God's children, but a select few, those that God has appointed to act as judge over other people and their affairs, as we see there in Exodus chapter 22. And the the crux of this psalm, and you can get this as uh, as we read through it already, and as we look at verses two through four in particular, I mean, God has some issues in terms of the way that the judges are wielding their authority, that they're not judging with righteous judgment. And and we'll we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Um, In the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, this first verse of Psalm 82 is translated this way. God takes his stand in his own congregation He judges in the midst of the rulers. We're familiar, of course, with Revelation 19.6, in which John writes, and he has on his robe, speaking of Jesus as he's returning to rule the earth, he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? We know that Jesus is King of Kings, he is Lord of Lords, and really this psalm, And the way that this is written, it tells us not only is he king of kings and lord of lords, he's also judge of judges. Because these judges who are judging unjustly, unrighteously, they will have to stand before God. And the way that this is written also, guys, it's an interesting thing because while the the, the context, of course, is Asaph writing as a Jewish man, God speaking to the gods among the Jewish people, among the Jewish people, the the judges among the Jewish people. But that would apply to any judge at any time over any body of people. Because God is the one who establishes government, right? We'll get to that in just a few moments. Because, and as as we deal with that, 
we can allow our imaginations to kind of go wild. Or actually not our imagination, but just our thoughts about what we know to be going on in our world today and what has gone on in, in the past, you know. Um, everybody knows that all judges do not judge righteously. Everybody knows that all leaders, all rulers, do not lead or rule righteously. And we know that, that, that people use positions of authority for their own personal gain. And that's, that's what basically the Lord is dealing with here. And, and so he's calling out these judges who are ruling uh, in, in that way. Now, in verse 6, as God says, you are gods. Perhaps some of you have heard ways in which that has been grossly misinterpreted. Taken to be in such a way that a so-called teacher will tell us that God calls us gods, that we are little gods. This is a, a teaching that is prominent in the word faith movement. I, I've heard Kenneth Copeland say that very thing. Uh, and it's just not an accurate interpretation of the words. He's not, he's not studying the Bible. He, he's not looking at what the word Elohim can mean besides gods. You know, it, it's speaking of people that God has placed in the kind of authority that they will judge over other people. Pastor Chuck Smith wrote this. He said, God calls the judges gods because a judge has such authority over a person's destiny. And because he holds the power of a person's life and destiny in his hands, God called judges gods. He used the same word. I don't know how many of you have had any kind of experience like that. I've, I've never stood before a judge. But I have had situations where, well, let me just share you just real quickly. Back, this is, our youngest daughter Jamie was in junior high at the time, so she's 12 or 13. And this is going back probably to 1988, 89. Um, she, in, her, in one of her classes, wrote a story about a girl, a young girl, who was molested. And it was written with such accuracy that the teacher believed that she must have been writing out of first-hand experience, which means we got a call. The CPS came and paid us a visit. And Jeanette called me, uh, uh, and I came home right away, and I, I met this CPS worker, a young, a young woman. But I knew, uh, being involved in ministry, I knew of stories in which CPS workers can, I mean, they've got a lot of power. They, they've got a lot, they can take a child out of the family's home if they believe they should. That scared me. Because basically, the, the, you know, the, this thing with, 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 with Jamie, I mean, I, I, she could have been removed 
Just because this, I mean, I don't know. For, for, I knew there was no reason, but this worker didn't know that. And I, and I, and I want, she, she wanted to talk with Jamie, you know, she was going to go take a walk down the sidewalk. I said, well, let me come with you. No, you, no, you can't. Well, I, I want to come with you. This is my daughter. I want, I want, I want to make sure I'm there to see and, and to see how things are going and things that you say. I, I don't want you planting thoughts into her head, blah, things of that nature, right? I don't want you misinterpreting things. I want to be there. She's my daughter. I, I have the right to be there. Well, no, sir, you don't. And if you don't back off, I'm going to call the police. Later on, I thought, well, I should have had her call the police and then make sure there's two officers. One could be with me and one could be with her. <laughs> but I didn't. But, so I let her go. And so it's like, that was a scary thing. Because the future of our family, the immediate future of our family was in the hands of this woman who could have made a misjudgment. Turns out that because... Jamie had heard from a girl at church about her, herself, about she being molested, that Jamie had some idea of what it was like, and so she wrote it in a fashion that it seemed very real. And so that, that's what that was all about. But just the idea of a human being having the kind of authority over us, and this is the case all over the world, in legal systems, and in, in our country as well, any judge at any level has authority to disrupt your life big time, right? That, that, that's why the same word is used, because they have that kind of power. They have that kind of authority. And so we need to take care that we make sure that we understand the, the, the basic intent of this psalm. It is God speaking to judges that he has placed an authority over his people and they are wielding that authority in an unrighteous way and he's going to deal with them. He's going to judge them. He's the one who is going to judge every judge. He uh, judges among the gods. He judges among the judges as we see there in that first verse. Does that make sense, you guys? I, I think we just need to understand that. We need to understand that. And if you hear anyone say anything that, well, we're gods, no, we're not. Now, there are certain people in our culture that are placed in a position that is kind of like a god that has that kind of authority, but they're just mere men. In fact, that's why he says later on in, in verse 7, but you shall die like men. You may think you're quite something, but you're just a man. You're going, to just die, you're going to die just like every other man, you know. That, and so God is speaking in that regard. Now in verses 2 through 7, let's look at verses 2 through 4 real quick as we, as we, as we continue on. Because basis, basically verses 2 through 7, we, we see God through Asaph. I mean, and, and he's not just a poet, he's not a psalmist, he's a prophet at this point speaking for God to the people, right? So we can call him the prophet Asaph if we like, because that's really what he's doing right here. But uh, he writes this for God, God asking the question, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. 
Stop and think about this. So this po poetic word, this word that we see throughout the psalm, selah, which means pause, and consider this, pause, and, and think about this for a moment. Just think about the fact that there are judges who judge unjustly and that they show partiality to the wicked or toward the wicked. They, 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 because the wicked will grease their palms. We'll give them a bribe. I mean, we hear of those kinds of things, right? We know that those kinds of things do indeed take place. And so it causes us to kind of, I mean, even with our own legal system, you know, I think we have the best system in the world, but the problem with the system is that there are people involved with it. There are sinners that are involved with it. And so much accountability is necessary. And, and, and we can tend to, 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 to question and, and to suspect and things of that nature, and, 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 and rightly so. But we certainly do have to be careful that we don't, you know, just because it's a person doesn't mean that they are judging unrighteously. And they, they may, may be performing their duty in a, in a very righteous way. And, and if we get if a judgment comes down toward us that is unfavorable, you know, I mean, we can tend to think it's not fair, but we've got to be honest with the Lord ourselves in our own hearts, don't we? But how long will you judge unjustly? In Psalm 62, 3, how long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall in a tottering fence. And God uses these words, how long? In a show of some impatience, if you will, with those to whom he's, to whom he's talking. You know, how long are you going to keep this up? When are you going to stop? Just a different way of asking that question, right? When are you going to change your ways? And we see that same kind of an attitude from the Lord toward his people in, in, in many different places. But here we see him asking the question, how long? And, and showing partiality to the wicked. We, we, we know that we are commanded. The book of James tells us that we are to be impartial in, in, in our uh, looking at people, I mean, in, in the way that we deal with people and so forth. Don't show partiality or favoritism toward the rich, for example. You know, toward those who can do something for us. And again, that's something that's very common for people to do. You know, people like us, if we can get close to somebody who has some power, we like being there because maybe we can get some help because of that relationship. You know, I mean, we'll do that kind of thing. God help us to refrain from those things. Those, those are all things that people do, things that we can do but because of the flesh. But certainly, if you and I, just those who follow after the Lord Jesus, if, if we're to do things out of impartiality, how much more judges? Because of the power that God, the authority that God ha has, has given to them. In verse three, verses 3 and 4, something very basic that we see throughout the scriptures from time to time, 
Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. So God is speaking to the, to the judges. He's just not speaking, to, he's not speaking to everyone. Although these kinds of, of verses are seen in, in uh, relation to God speaking to all of his people. In Deuteronomy 24, 17, for example, God says, You shall not pervert justice, do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge or receive a bribe. Psalm 10, verses 17 and 18. Look at this. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the men of the earth may oppress no more. Now at the end of this short psalm, verse 8, we do see Asaph writing, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. You know, there is going to come a time, and this verse 8 and this 10th Psalm also that we just referred to, both refer to the reality that there is going to come a time where oppression will stop. There's going to come a time where justice will be absolutely, perfectly just and righteous. During the reign of Jesus Christ, right? In that millennial reign, he is going to, to rule in such a way that all justice is going to be absolutely perfect and, and these things are going to stop. But as we cry out to him today, we ask him to deal with those situations in which justice is not being done. And it can be frustrating for us because, I mean, in, and we, we look at our world today you know, j just the idea of, of, of these things, you know, uh, um, doing justice to the afflicted and the needy, you know, uh, defending the poor and, and, the, and the fatherless. Uh, basically, weak people who can't help themselves, when they come up against people who aren't so weak and have some power, oppression needs, uh, uh, oppression tends to take place. And so we're called to protect those who can't protect themselves. You know, and in our culture, in this idea of protecting those who can't protect themselves, you know, a, a very glaring issue for us is the issue of abortion. Right? And so we, we, we pray, we, we, we cry out to God, and, and we get involved in certain ways, but... You know, there are many other ways in which that takes place. You know, but it, but it takes place with, in particular, those who can't help themselves, those who can't defend themselves, those who don't have the money to do so. You know, the, the, the person with a lot of money and can buy the lawyers and so forth, that person can get the help. And we can think of all kinds of situations in our past that have made national headlines in which we see things taking place. It's like you just wonder, you know, was justice actually done? I'll just say this. 
You guys think O.J. killed those two people? For example, for example, I see some heads going like this, and I'm in agreement with you. I'm in agreement. That's what it seems. That's what it seems. Especially when they've got courtrooms with cameras in it, and, and they're, they're being broadcast to us, right? But justice is a very very important thing to God. And so he is, dis he, is, he is commanding them to do what we see there in verses 3 and 4. And in verse 5, we see him, see the Lord speaking in this way re about them. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness all the foundations of the earth are unstable. Romans 13.1 says this, a familiar passage for us. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Then later on in that same passage, verse four, first part of verse, uh, first part of verse four, we see that Paul the apostle writes, "For he is God's minister to you, for good, the person that God has placed as the authority." Now this would apply to not only judges in the court system, but all who have authority. It would apply to policemen. It would apply to um, parents who have authority over their children. It would apply in the church where we have uh, leaders in the church with spiritual authority over the sheep in the church, right? It applies in our government in various ways. Those who hold office, mayors within cities, assembly people, governors, senators, state senators, U.S. senators, presidents and vice presidents, to all of those. And God has, has appointed authorities in every culture. And as he says, as, as the Lord says through Paul there in the fourth verse, he, this person, is God's minister to you for good. Now, those things are written to us for us to acknowledge that and submit to the appropriate authorities. But there's also something that those who are in authority need to take a look at as well and understand that they've been appointed by God. And since they have been appointed by God, and because God is the one who establishes government, He's the one who put government into place, He's the one who who put the things into motion in regard to a government, and so the, the, the laws and all those things, and, 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 and as things are, are followed, it's like this is what he has established in order to, to, to keep things calm and a blessing for his people. But those who are in authority need to recognize that they've been appointed to God because they're accountable to him. This passage tells us that it's not just simply 
spiritual authorities who are accountable to God. All authority is accountable to God because all authority is appointed by Him. Right? And, I mean, what kind of percentage of people who are have in authority, let, let's just think about it in, in our own country, you know, whether it's, you know, from, I mean, from the president all the way down in terms of uh, 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 authorities in, in our country, federal, uh, uh, those who are within our state, local, all that. What kind of percentage of them would actually take this seriously and understand that they are accountable to God. God says in verse 5 there, they do not know nor do they understand. I think that's what it's in, refer in reference to. To have no, no concept of the fact that they themselves, they may have been elected, they may have been appointed by somebody. I mean, many judges in our in our culture are appointed by someone, you know, and, you know, and all the things that go on with that, you know, just the personal things between people, you know, you give me this position, I'll do that for you. Or if I, if I give you this position, I want you to do this for me and all this stuff, you know, and, and it just causes us to kind of look sideways at, at some of these things that go on around us. But people have no idea. They will answer to God. The judges, those who are in authority, those who have this kind of power and authority over other people will answer to God. They don't understand. They don't know. They walk about in darkness. What does that imply? Well, there is a darkness in the sense of a lack of knowledge and understanding but also the darkness in the sense of they think they can get away think with things because other people don't see them. With their own sleight of hand or, or whatever it may be. Or could you simply speak about moral darkness? You know, there's a lot of ways that we can, we can, we can look at that. But there at that last, that last sentence there in verse 5 says something Pretty incredible, really. It says, all the foundations of the earth are unstable. Because God has placed all these things into place. The governing authorities and the judges and, and the, uh, the, the, the rulers within, within the cultures, kings and, and presidents and prime ministers and whatever it may be and governors and whatever. He's placed it all there and because so little of it is done with the idea that I'm accountable to God, I've got to do this in the right way, then, well, basically, all the foundations of the earth are unstable. The, w the, the world is just falling apart. That makes sense? That, that's, what we, that's what God is saying here. The world is just falling apart because of the lack of understanding. And because of the lack of understanding, there's so much, so much graft and so much 
favoritism, uh, so much oppression, so, so, so many bribes and so many injustices that are done, so much oppression that takes place. It's just destroying the world because of that lack of understanding. You know, judges who pervert justice are misrepresenting God and they will answer to him for it. It's a part of what they will answer to God for. One writer by the name of William Binney wrote this. He said, but while care ought to be taken to guard the divine right of civil government from abuse, the right itself is not to be forgotten. We can lose balance sometimes. When we see abuse, we can try to correct it to such a degree that the original purpose for the judges being in place, for the authority being in place, is lost. We can't let that happen. The state is an ordinance of God, Benny writes. Having, like the family, its foundation in the very constitution of human nature. The officers of the state, whether supreme or subordinate, have a divine right to administer justice in the community over which providence has placed them. They who resort to the civil magistrate for judgment resort to the judgment seat of God. Just as they who resort to the ministry of the word resort to the great prophet of the church. Speaking of Jesus, of course. Unless a magistrate had received a commission from God, he could not lawfully bear the sword. To take the life of an unarmed fellow man without a commission from the Most High warranting the act would be to commit murder. And we see that take place. We see that take place. You know, there are so many things that go in in our culture to these things. You know, um, as we see, as we talk about the perversion of justice um, and all those who exercise their authority as authorities of some sort and how it can get so out of hand, let's not forget that there are so many more that do take it seriously. And they get a bad rap because of those who don't. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think that whether it's politicians, whether it's police officers, whether it's uh, uh, pastors, you know, you, you get some, some bad things going on am among them, uh, among a few of them, and the whole group is labeled. We've got to be careful about doing that. In verse 6, we've talked about this already, but I want to I, I take you to John chapter 10 in verses 34 to 39. We see Jesus using this particular passage to make a point. 
Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of the Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. It's like Jesus is saying, you know, it seems you don't mind that God said that you are God's, but then you get, get, get all bent out of shape when I claim to be the Son of God. You know, and, 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 and so, and then he goes on to say, just believe the works that I do. If you don't want to believe me for what I say or believe me for who I am, just believe the works that I do. You can't come against that. So this idea of judges, this idea of people with power in our society, in every society. And we've been blessed in America over the years. And, and you know, no system operates perfectly, as I said before, because of the reality that we have, we have people in, involved. But because of the system that we have, we've got uh, so much more justice than in so many parts of the world. In so many parts of the world. And we need to be thankful to God for that. We do. Verse 7. As the Lord speaks of the fact that they are gods, they have this, this authority, they are judges. Another way, of course, that that can be uh, translated. Uh, and by the way, that could also be translated as uh, Mighty ones, mighty ones, gods, judges, it, it, it all uh, comes from that word Elohim. That's the way that that can be translated. Um, now, because we as human beings, sinful human beings, have issues with our flesh, you know, and power is one of those things, you know, and that, that's why we, we, we have the saying, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? There, there, there's a reality to that. But we can get all tripped out over having some power. You know, as a, as a pastor for a number of years now, for um, over 35 years, I've seen my share of marriages in which a husband gets tripped out over, having, over being the head over his wife. And just the power trip that can happen in that relationship because wanting to have control. Those kinds of things. You guys know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like that, that's not an uncommon thing. And it's really not an uncommon thing in any area in which we have people having a position of authority. It's not uncommon, but as I said earlier, it is less common than those 
who were at least trying to do it right and take it very, very seriously, the role that God has given to them. But because of that, and because of the way that, that these judges can, you know, get all tripped out in their head about this and so forth, he says in verse 7, but you shall die like men and, shall f- and, and fall like one of the princes. You know, you're, you're, just, you're just a man. Don't think you're anything but. You know, and those, those who have been given a position of, of authority, you know, don't get all tripped out about it because you're, you're just a guy and, and, and you can fall. And by the way, you will be judged. Um, Thomas Watson wrote this. The meditation of death would pull down the plumes of pride. Thou art but dust animated. I like that. I like the way that that's worded. You're nothing but dust. You're animated dirt, animated dust, because that's where you came from. You came from the dust of the earth. It's just animated. God gave you the power to animate that. You know, it's like, it's, I, I like the way that that's worded. Shall dust and ashes be proud? Thou hast a grassy body and shall shortly be mowed down. I have said ye are gods, but lest they should grow proud, he adds a corrective, ye shall die like men. Ye are dying gods. Very, very appropriate. I like the way that that's worded. Now getting to verse 8 as we close. We see Asaph writing, and basically he ends with a prayer. The introduction in verse 1, verses 2 through 7, basically the, the, uh, uh, the, the various uh, um, things that God has against the judges and, and the warnings that go along with it. And then verse 8, a prayer, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. Just crying out to God for ultimate justice. In Micah 7, 7, we see Micah writing, Therefore I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Isn't that why we cry out to him? Because we know he's going to hear us. Let's look to him. You know, and, and even with all the issues and the problems that we have going on in our own culture, you know, uh, from Washington down sea, Washington, D.C., all the way down, you know, I mean, it's like just the issues that are going on, might we be looking to the Lord to correct these issues? Might we seriously cry out to him? I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Are we waiting for him? Are, are, are we truly serving him? Are, are we about the business of the things of the kingdom and, and crying out and just waiting for him to work, waiting for him to respond, watching to, to, to see that he might respond? And also, as we're in that position, God might want to use us in some way with all of this. We, we don't know how. We don't know how. But I think that it's something that can be a very, very powerful thing. Let's wait for the God of our salvation 
because we know that he's going to hear us. Let's cry out to him. In Psalm 2, verses 7 to 9, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Here Asaph writes, for you shall inherit all the nations. And the Lord, through, through David, wrote that the nations, that the, that the Father will give to Jesus the nations for his inheritance. And then we see in Revelation 11:15, and, and in a, no, a number of other places as well. But in Re Revelation 11, verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, right? Every nation is going to bow before him. You know, when, when he comes again, and establishes his kingdom. It's going to be a kingdom, it will be a kingdom of absolute justice and righteousness. He will reign forever and ever, as we see there in Revelation 11 15. All the kingdom of the earth will be his. Isn't it interesting how Satan tempted Jesus with the temptation that he would give him all the kingdoms if he would just bow to him? Jesus knew, you know, basically Satan was offering him a shortcut. But Jesus knew what was going to take place in the end. He knew that. And he said, I will not bow to you. I'll just worship the Lord my God, as, as the word of God says. And, and Jesus quoted the word, of course. But, you know, we, we, we see the, the, the truth that all nations will bow before Jesus. And so all these things are going to get corrected. But until they do, I believe God is calling us to be men and women of prayer, men and women who live righteously before him and before other people. As Mike has said, looking to the Lord and waiting for the God of my salvation. And this idea of waiting for the God of my salvation we are saved, we know where our salvation is, is from, we know where our help comes from, and we're waiting in the sense of serving him. You go to a restaurant and you have a, a, a waiter or a waitress coming to wait on the table, to wait on you. That's to serve you. you know, so this idea of waiting, this idea of serving him as we're waiting. Serving him, it's like waiting as we're waiting, you know, serving as, as we are uh, uh, expecting his soon return and, and just being used by him in the lives of others. You know, and if, if lives of others around us have, show some signs of, you know, the, the perversion of justice somehow, 
But might it, be, might it not be so among us? Might we show the light of Christ in our lives to be a witness to those around us? Because ultimately and finally, true justice is going to prevail. And we're going to be a part of all that, guys. We're going to be a part of that. No more injustices, no more perversions of justice, no more oppression, you know, no, no more favoritism, no, no more showing uh, 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 so, so some people uh, uh, favor over even the afflicted or the needy. You know, because every person is going to be receive absolute justice in that world. Can't wait for that time. Not just simply because of justice, but we're going to be with Jesus, the one who gives it, the one who gives absolute justice. You guys looking forward to that? I am too. Father, thank you for that. And Lord, as we see these words, Lord, and we get a glimpse from your word about the reality of life in this world, Lord, it can be difficult and it grieves our hearts at times and we at sometimes can be personally affected by it. But Lord, we, we, we know that you are our God. We know that you hear our prayers. We know that as we look to you, you will bring to us, Lord, the things that we need. God, we can't answer all the questions about why certain things happen. Whether it's oppression, injustices, or, or the downtrodden of the poor, or whatever it may be, or sickness and illness that comes among us, or difficulties that happen within relationships, uh, about men who have been given authority who wield it in such a way that just not right, Lord, that it perverts your purposes. Lord, we know it all stems from the reality of sin in this world. But Lord, you have overcome the world. And so we look to you. We trust you. We depend on you. We rely on you for every need that we have. And through it all, Lord, might we praise you might we worship you. Might we bring honor and glory to your holy and righteous name. Help us, God, we pray. Fill us with your spirit and enable us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.